turn with me to Psalm 42. We'll actually be looking at and covering both Psalms 42 and 43 today. Uh, if you're using the Black Pew Bible that's either in front of you or somewhere near you, uh, you'll find this, these passages on page 469. Once again, we'll be starting in Psalm 42, beginning at verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. There are some texts in the Bible that hardly need any introduction in order to immediately connect with the soul. And when you read the words, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? We've all been there. We know that. If there were a t-shirt for it, we would own it. It would probably be a very sober t-shirt, right? I mean, it would not be exciting or colorful. Why are you cast down, O my soul? We come back to the Psalms this morning. We've been looking at uh, a variety of Psalms and the way that they address different times in life. 
So we've seen a, a psalm for the time of storm and for a time of suffering and for a time of injustice and time of fear, a psalm for every sinner, and last week a psalm for every day. And if we just hang on to those two psalms, we'll have quite a traveling companion through this life, a psalm for every sinner, Psalm 51, a psalm for every day, Psalm 145. Well, we come back, and I mean, isn't it wonderful? Don't you just rejoice in the fact that God has given us these, this variety of psalms uh, that, that connect with different seasons in life? And one of the things that happens in hard seasons, in those that are suffering or unjust or fearful or trying or different kinds of things that enter our life, one of the things that ties all of them together is that when the hard seasons of life really get a grip on us, it is not uncommon to lose our grip on hope. And actually, it's not uncommon to look for hope in places we're not meant to look for hope. Hope is a word in need of definition. I mean, lots of people talk about hope, uh, most meaning the, just the, the desire for something good in the future, around the corner, coming up. Uh, the problem with the way that people typically speak about hope is twofold. First, when many use the word hope, they're essentially uh, saying they wish things would get better. They're just making a wish. But the way the Bible talks about hope is one of greater confidence. It is a confident expectation of good in the future. So that's the first problem. The second problem is that too many people get trapped into speaking about hope as if it should be tied to the changing circumstances around us. That our circumstances, that, that different circumstances will give me more hope. That if I just get a little relief from the difficulty, if, if only my spouse would change, or if only I could change spouses, if only I'd have a, a change at my job, if only my boss were different, if only my career were different, if only my health was different. Churches sometimes put their hope in the new pastor that they're calling. Boy, this is going to be the answer right here. And then it doesn't take long to figure out he doesn't have a cape. Uh, and his nickname is not actually Messiah. Uh, that he is a like man unto all with like passions and frailties. And is appointed by God simply to point to hope. To the one who gives hope. When we get trapped, here's the problem with getting trapped and thinking our changing circumstances are where hope really lies. When you terminate your hope in this world, it will terminate with this world. It will not last. You will always be looking for the next new circumstance. You will be always be looking for the next bit of relief. You will always be looking for the next bit of better. You will always be looking forward to the next pastor.
But if our hope terminates on the eternal, on God, on His great plan, His great purpose, His purposes for our lives and for the world, if it terminates on the risen Lord Jesus Christ, then it is real hope. And Psalm 42 and 43 help us. Help us because hope that is seen is not hope. And hope in Christ does not disappoint. You have to put those two side by side. Hope that you can see is not actually hope. But hope in Christ, according to Romans 5, does not disappoint. Don't you want that? Don't you want a hope that doesn't disappoint? Don't you want to go home and have hope, no matter what you face this week, your hope is in something that will not disappoint? Because the new health condition will eventually disappoint. Because the spouse will eventually disappoint. Because even if you were to change spouses, that spouse would disappoint. Because your job is going to disappoint again. Because your career is not going to launch. It's going to be disappointing like maybe you didn't expect. But hope in Christ does not disappoint. Through all of those things. And Psalm 42 and 43 helps us here because here we see a man fighting for hope. Fighting for it. He keeps coming back to it over and over again, doesn't he? He can't get away from it. The fight is real. Now, many believe that these two psalms were originally one and that at some point they were divided into two. That's a possibility. I mean, if you look at the beginning of 42, you see there is a title there, which we'll think about in just a second. But at the beginning of 43, you have this very unusual situation where there's no title. But you also, if you add to that the fact that the exact duplication of words comes, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. If you put all of those things together, along with the fact that these are right next door to each other, talking about the exact same thing, it, it kind of makes sense. The title at the beginning of 42 is, This is a Maskell of the Son's of Korah. Maskell is not an English word. It is basically a transliteration of the Hebrew, uh, and they did that because nobody really fully comprehends what it means. It, it's likely to indicate some kind of instruction. So you have a song here. This is going to the choir master of instruction, a song that is meant to teach us. Songs where We know songs do that, don't we? All the songs that we just sang are meant to teach us. The songs that you teach your children on, on your knee are meant to teach them. You can sing the ABC song. Sometimes when you lose your way in the New Testament, you break out into song. Galatians and Ephesians, right? I mean, that's what you do, and you're like, where is Colossians? There it is, right? That's what you do, because songs teach, and this particular song is meant to teach us, and what it teaches us is that we fight for hope by interpreting life's trouble with God's truth. We fight for hope by interpreting life's troubles with God's truth. So, I want to start just by looking at the trouble this man faces. 
the trouble he faces. It doesn't take much to see it, does it? You get to verse 3, and his tears have been his food day and night. It doesn't take great interpretive skill to know this man is unhappy. He's in trouble. But the trouble is of two distinct kinds. One, there is external trouble that is coming on him. There's external trouble coming on him. We're not told the exact details, but we see enough of the picture. I mean, first of all, he is separated from the people of God, from the city of God, from the worship of God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The, appearing before God was something that you did in corporate worship. And then in chapter 4, he remembers the days when he used to go along with people to celebrate. He is separated. Now, he knows that God is omnipresent. His concern is not, is God actually here? His concern is to be in God's presence, which is most poignantly expressed as the people of God come together in worship. But this man's not there. Well, why is he not there? He's a son of Korah, which means he's a subset of the priest uh, who are responsible for music. Played in the worship band, maybe the electric guitar, and that's why they exiled him. I don't know. But he's, but he's out. He's away. Sorry, Hannah. He's away. He's, he's away from the people of God. He's away from Jerusalem. One possibility for what's going on, what lies behind this psalm, comes in 2 Kings 14. Uh, as you know, Probably from your studies, uh, the kingdom is divided by now. Israel is in the north, and Judah is in the south. And uh, Amaziah is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, and Jehoash is the king of Israel at this time, the, the, the northern kingdom. And in pride, Amaziah picks a fight with Jehoash and loses. And he's captured along with a bunch of other people. And this is what we... Uh, part of the wall of Jerusalem is actually torn down at this point. It's a, it's, a bad, it's a bad deal. I mean, pride literally came before the fall. 2 Kings 14, 14, And he, speaking of Jehoash, seized all the gold and silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house, also hostages. He's in the Lord's house. He's got treasures. He's got vessels. He's got hostages. So that's like, it's possible that this is what he's experiencing, but he's away from corporate worship. It's possible that he's one of the hostages, and this distance is troubling to be separated from God's people, to be separated from the worship of God. Dear friends, the easy access of corporate worship in our day seems to have diminished its importance in our minds. Do you ever feel this way? When you can't get to church? Do you feel wrecked or do you feel relief? Whew. Didn't have to go to church today. Love vacation. You know, thinking so long as I catch the sermon online, as long as I listen to some praise music, as long as I pray during the week and study on my own, that all is well. Listen, all you need to correct your view is to go with us when we take communion to shut-ins. When we go and do that on a regular basis, the testimony of those who cannot get here is, oh, how I wish I could get there. 
Isaiah Helms, who works, uh, he's here every Sunday for Sunday school, and he's always working with the youth ministry and leading music, but his job at this point forces him to leave right after Sunday school and, and go to work. But there are Sundays that he can actually be here, a few during the year right now, uh, for this particular gathering. And you know what he tells me is that, you know, he listens to the sermon. Every, in fact, he listens to the sermon with co-workers to discuss it, with unbelieving co-workers. So uh, he tells me there is nothing like singing together as God's people hearing the Bible preached together. And he listens to the sermons every week. Isaiah, we say hello to you. He's not here today. He's at work. He's going to listen to this. So uh, he will hear me talking about him. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that I'm not a mystic of any sort, but I will tell you this. There is something about being with the people of God for the praise of God under the preached word of God to worship God. There is something about being together that simply cannot be replicated apart. This is actually why Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to not want his tapes to be distributed at all, his sermon tapes, because he believed there is something lost when you listen to a recording rather than actually being there. There's a fellowship in the Spirit. In this room, there's... There's encouragement as we sing together, as we pray together. It's a reality that we take for granted, but we shouldn't. Corporate worship under God is meant to sustain our hope, to remind us of truth, to strengthen our resolve to persevere in the faith. I mean, in, a world, in, a, in lives that are tossed about by the troubles of this world, in a dry and weary world where there is no water, corporate worship is to be a bit of an oasis where we drink deeply of the things of God. This man's separated, but he's not just separated, he's taunted. Did you notice that as we go through? Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Verse 10 of chapter 42, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? It's like a deadly wound, these words that are being hurled at him. His enemies clearly know that all is well. Apparently, his private meditation and devotion isn't sustaining him like he thought. And he's crying all the time. He's on the edge of tears all the time. And they see it. They know, nobody comes up to you and says, well, where's your God now when everything's going great? They know something's wrong. And so they say, well, where is your God now? And isn't that the kind of question that unbelievers ask you and ask me when great tragedies occur in our culture? Well, where's your God now? Where is this loving God that you talk about? He's taunted by his enemies. And in the struggle to find answers to that and being separated from God's people, struggling to find answers to the taunts of the world, we lose our grip. This psalmist is separated and he's taunted, but you know, the external circumstances that come on us and trouble us and can lead to losing our grip on hope are wide and various. Various. 
I mean, they are just, they take every shape, don't they? Chronic illness can do that. Financial struggles can do that. Suffering injustice can do that. Just the flat-out exhaustion that some seasons of life can bring. Exhaustion is a great partner to a number of other things that would come and work together to try and steal hope. At this moment, I, I'm not concerned what you think about the Sabbath and its place in the Christian's life. I'm telling you, you got to sleep, you got to rest, or you will lose hope. Exhaustion just complicates our fight against sin. Just daily, constantly feeling like, man, I was just here last week and here I am again. And dear friends, do not forget the devil. He's a roaring lion hungry for your hope. He's a thief who'd gladly break in and steal it. Gladly whisper into your ear, there's nothing to hold on to. Look at your life. How can you possibly hope in this God? This is what the external, the devil is outside of us. The, 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 the exhaustion comes on us. The, the suffering, the illness, the injustice, the, everything is going on. And then you have these, and then he's not just facing external trouble, he's facing internal trouble. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. The absence of sweet communion with God together with the people of God has left his soul parched. He is not a camel. Did you notice that? He doesn't say like a camel. Camels can go six, seven months without a water source. He says like a deer. A deer has to find a water source every single day. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. That is the song of this psalmist. Come quickly and abide, or life's in vain. Verse 5 of chapter 42, his soul is cast down, it is sinking, it is melting, he's in despair. He feels forgotten and rejected by God. 42 verse 9, why have you forgotten me? He's mourning. Chapter 43 verse 2, why have you rejected me? Why have you shut me out? Why have you forgotten me? Why am I not on your mind? Why are you not doing something? He feels wronged and he wants God to intervene. Chapter 43, verse 1. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. And from the deceit and unjust man, deliver me. And you have this picture in chapter 42, verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. This pain, this inner turmoil is 
unrelenting. The waves of pain are pounding on his soul. The roaring noise of suffering like a waterfall is deafening and it won't stop. It will not stop. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves crash over me. Just over 10 years ago, I was in Liberia bringing our daughter Georgia home. And every night, almost every night after dinner, it was about a quarter mile to the Atlantic Ocean, and every night, just about every night after dinner, one of the other men and I would walk down there. The, the, the ladies in our group would kindly, I, was, I went by myself, so I was single dadding it from about 20 minutes into this trip through three and a half weeks. Uh, I love you, Susan. All right? So, um, so I, like three and a half weeks. So every night they would, they would say, why don't you, why don't you just, they would let us go and someone would care for Georgia so that I could just take a walk down to the beach and he and I would body surf for about 20 minutes and then we'd go back and get back into action. And so uh, w- one day I remember the, the ocean was uh, particularly violent. And I go out into it, and it's brutal. The waves are making it impossible to stand. I mean, I go out, I just dive in and start swimming out, and then I'm at, you know, a place where my, I'm up to my chest, and the waves just will not stop. And so I'm having trouble catching my breath. It's hard to keep my bearings. I'm being turned around. The tide seems to be going in a very strange direction. I can't get oriented to the shore I, and, and finally, I see the shore, and I just swim as hard as I can. And I come up for air, and I see I'm swimming in the wrong direction. And so I try again, and I just keep going until finally I get on the shore. And at that point, my heart is, you know, pounding at, as fast as it possibly can. And I just collapse on the shore for 20 minutes just trying to get my heart rate down and trying to get my breathing under control. It turned out somebody died in those waters that very night. That's the kind of turmoil he's in. You been there where you can't quite catch your breath? Hearts pounding, disoriented, not knowing what's up or what's down, swimming as hard as you can, uncertain if you're actually swimming in the right direction, having to keep looking, keep gasping for breath to see if you see the shore. That's what's going on in his soul. He's not sure what to think or what to do. I mean, we ask questions at times like that that intellectually we know the answers to, don't we? You know the answers to that question. Uh, Excuse me, uh, Mr. Son of Korah. You asked, um, why have you forgotten me? But you called God your rock, so obviously you don't actually intellectually think that God has forgotten you. You ask, why have you rejected me? But uh, Mr. Son of Korah, you said God is your refuge. In times when it is hard to catch your breath, you will ask questions of the Lord that intellectually you can, you can give the answer to, but no matter what we might know with our heads, our experience is calling our theological education into question. 
And so in that time, you don't need to pick up a book and start reading it. You need to pick up boxing gloves and start fighting. Because that's what he does. He starts fighting for hope. And so we see the trouble that he faces, and now we must see the action that he takes. The action he takes. Now many today, if they're in this situation, you know what they would do, right? They would just want to talk about their trouble all the time. We're going to form groups, and we're going to call it a support group, but the actual goal of the group is just to talk about our troubles, to see if we can commiserate, to see who can tell the worst story about how your week was. So that, and you don't even have to form a group. If, you, if the walls of many a coffee shop or diner could talk, they would relay the stories of comparing miserable experiences this last week. Wouldn't they? But dear friends, as normal as it is and as normal as it seems, this kind of vent, the fool gives full vent to his soul. That's what Proverbs says. Venting accomplishes nothing. No matter how good you feel afterwards, that is not a God-given relief. Just getting it off your chest doesn't get it out of your life. And it doesn't solve the problem. You're not going to find hope just by dumping your problems in a friend's ear. Boy, I feel better after talking. Thank you so much. You've been a great help. All I've done is sit here and drunk my grande skinny vanilla latte, but okay. The psalmist does not simply vent his problems. He moves toward the solution. He doesn't just say he's losing hope. He doesn't just picture the losing of hope. He fights for hope. He's going to go after it. And there are three things here that he does that I just want to mention in logical order more than just walking straight through the text. Listen to what he does. First, he questions himself. 42 verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Now he's already talked about his external trouble. He's already talked about the, braves and the, wa the waves and the breakers that are crashing over him. He's not actually asking his soul to tell him the specific circumstances that are making him feel that way. What he's saying is, what are you doing? He's like a detective. He's taken his soul into the uh, questioning room and he's got him sitting down. He's got the bright light on his soul and he's pounding on the desk and he won't let him have water until he answers. Why are you cast down? I don't know if detectives pound the desk or refuse water. That is not, a, that is not a, a statement of accusation. But you get the picture, don't you? I mean, if you watch any detective shows, you see that they do that on TV. I mean, TV is basically reality, right? <laughs> but he will not let his soul go. He's not going to let his he's not going to let his soul have the last word, so to speak. He's not going to listen to his circumstances. He's not even going to listen to his heart. He's going to speak to his heart. This, this is a fundamental problem in our culture. Even for Christians, just listen to your heart. Just listen to yourself. What, are you what does it feel like you're telling yourself to do? How do you feel like you ought to respond? 
Dear friends, we need to take ourselves by the scruff of the neck and take, the, take ourselves into the investigation room and ask, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? He's not saying the pain's an illusion. You shouldn't really be feeling anything. He's not saying it's no big deal. He's not even saying trouble's not really trouble. He is asking himself, looking himself right in the mirror and saying, on what basis are you allowing the trouble of life to let you loosen your grip on hope? On what basis do you have to let go of God in this circumstance? Why are you cast down? It's a good question. When you start to get into that rut, just open the Bible to Psalm 42 and ask yourself this question. What, why are you cast down? What is it in your life that is so powerful, that is so important, that is so earth-shattering that the God who created the universe, the God who saved you, the God who sustains you, the God who holds your future in His hand is nowhere in sight? I realize you want to be very gentle with people who are in, in, in this situation, right? I mean, they're completely down. You're not going to come in and kick them. But you do. I think if, you're, if we're faithful friends, we do need to listen to one another. We need to hear what it is that's going on. And at some point, we need to ask, but where is God in this? Because typically when we're venting, you know who's distinctly absent from the equation? God. Is my boss this, my son that, my spouse the other, my health? And typically the venting is completely absent of a perspective of God that reflects the Bible. And so you just want to say, dear brother, dear sister, why, oh, why is your soul cast down within you? Ask yourself that question. What is it that has gotten bigger and stronger than God? He questions himself, but he doesn't just question himself. That would be kind of cruel, wouldn't it? <laughs> just ask the question, you'd be done. You're in turmoil now. You thought you were in turmoil before, but now I'm asking you the question, and you're really in turmoil. Because you realize, I haven't been responding correctly. The second thing I'm going to mention, we're not going to go straight through that, that sentence because what he does next is what I want to finish with. But he also, throughout this whole psalm, he reminds himself of truth. Did you notice that along the way? He's always remembering things. He reminds himself about truth, of truth about the past. Verse 4 of chapter 42 these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. He remembers being with God's people. He remembers especially the festival times. He remembers the joy of the Passover and the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booths and celebrating God's redemption and God's provision and God's protection. And he remembers it with glad shouts 
and songs of praise, he remembers. Why would he remember this? Because quite honestly, isn't it helpful to remember that not every moment in life is just like this moment? As if no joy has ever entered my life, ever. Because then we're exaggerating and it's just wrong. Because the Lord does give blessings like, I remember, I mean, John and Pam, you remember when you first went on the field, right? You remember the excitement and the joy of the being sent out from here? And Mark, you remember that? And Roxanne, you remember the joy of meeting Mark? And he told me to say that. But, uh, no, he didn't really. But you remember these things, don't you? There are days, look, November the, November the 7th, 1999 means nothing to any of you, I would think. But it was the day that I knelt on the ground and men that I loved dearly placed their hands on me and entrusted to me pastoral ministry for the rest of my life. And I'm not going to say that that day is the only thing that keeps me going some days because, goodness, then that day is more powerful than God himself. But what I will say is I remember that day. I remember getting to stand before my, my home church after that and preach. And it was probably awful. But, but I remember the joy of, of being there and of doing that and of wearing the suit that my grandmother bought just for that. And I just remember those days. It's not, look, every, things are very hard. We do have to remember, I mean, we, we sing the song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. It is good to th keep a thankfulness journal just so you can remember all of the good that God does in your life. That's what he does. He remembers the truth about the past. He remembers truth about the present as well. He says at, in verse 6, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Miser, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. This is a beautiful reminder. Do you know what he remembers? Two things. One, all of the pain that, he, that is coming on him is not absent the sovereignty of God. He says, your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves. He recognizes that nothing comes into his life apart from the sovereignty of God. Even the devil himself is a leashed foe till the Lord says he can go. The trouble in his life is not absent the sovereignty of God, and the trouble in his life is actually not absent the love of God. That's what verse 8 does. comes right behind it and says, By day your steadfast love, you command your steadfast love. By night your song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. This is, this is a man who understands that the presence of pain from God's hand does not equal the absence of love from God's heart. The presence of pain from God's hand is not equivalent to the absence of love from his heart. In another psalm, he says, I, 
I was, I was glad that you afflicted me because then I learned your way. And we won't take time to go into all the things that God does through suffering, through pain, except to say that if you are going to serve a suffering Savior and think that your life will be free of suffering, you do not have a biblical perspective. Because God the Father sent His waves and His breakers over the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And He did that so that, he, so that rather than the breakers and waves of His wrath come over your life, you would be brought out by His steadfast love. He took the break, breakers and the waves on our behalf. He remembers the present, that these things that are in my life are not, they're not the capricious work of, uh, of, an, uh, of a you know, bad-tempered God. This is, this is the sovereign, careful work of a God whose steadfast love is commanded toward me every day. And then about the future. Do you notice how determined he is about the future? I mean, he asks in 43.3, send your light out and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. Then I will go to the altar of God. I shall again praise him. I'll pick up my lyre once again. And I will have exceeding joy when I do it. This is the determination that he will keep going and the assurance that his longing for God will be met by God. He questions himself. He reminds himself of truth about the past, the present, and the future. And he calls himself to hope. Hope in God. That's a command. You ever commanded yourself? That's what he's doing. He's questioned himself. He's reminded himself. He's commanding himself. Hope in God, set your mind on things above. Look to the things that are unseen, not the troubles that you can see. The things that are seen are temporal. They cannot satisfy your soul. No matter how good this circumstance turns out to be, it is not so sweet as the fountain of living water, which is God Himself. In fact, this is one of the great this is the great evil that God talks about in Jeremiah 2. My people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out for themselves cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water. And the psalmist is telling himself, go to the living water, hope in the living water, hope in the God. Don't hope in broken cisterns. Don't hope in the fact that your enemies will stop taunting you. Don't hope in those things. Hope in God and in His purposes. He is my God. He is my salvation. He is my exceeding joy. Keep your eyes on the good that He purposes in everything, even in this trouble. Cling to His promises, the promise that He will never forsake you or leave you. Get a grip on the eternal good that, waits, that awaits your soul. Interpret life's trouble with God's truth. Hope 
in God. It is, this is the spiritual locker room talk that we all need at one point or another, right? Even if nobody else knows how I am losing hope, I do, which is why I need to take myself by the scruff of the neck and say, why are you downcast? Hope in God. Just put this little blip of life into the perspective of eternity for just a moment, and everything changes. Dear Christian, our Savior is seated at the right hand of God. He has sent His Holy Spirit to live within us, to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ, to open our eyes so that we understand God's Word, to give us strength so that we obey God's Word, to give us hope for the future, a hope that is so far beyond, I hope I get better. There is a better that the person who says that can't possibly imagine. And that same Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. The hope of glory. Christ in us. We fight for hope by interpreting life's trouble with God's truth. And it is a fight. I picked that word on purpose because if we do nothing, we will become hopeless. If we do nothing in those circumstances, we will become hopeless. We must fight, sometimes daily, sometimes moment by moment. Some of us need to write down the truth about our hope on little three by five index cards and keep them very close or put them in the notes section of your iPhone. If you don't know what that is, use the 3x5 cards and just carry them around and look at them. Look at them often. Look at them when you don't feel like you're losing hope. Remind yourself often where your hope really is. Find a friend who will say the same things to you. It will remind you that your hope is not in a particular kind of life or a particular kind of career or a particular kind of marriage or a particular kind of children or a particular kind of anything that terminates in this world. That's why we come together and we sing of eternal things. We don't come together and sing about how my disease will get better next week because in the perspective of eternity, it doesn't matter. We don't sing about how everything will be made better here. How sad that would be, wouldn't it? There is no way or shape or form that God intends this to be our best life. And this psalmist has been there, and he points us to the truth. And more than that, that truth takes us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew about internal trouble. In the garden, he was distressed. He was sorrowful. He was sweating blood. He was collapsing in prayer. He was pleading for the cup of suffering to pass from him because he knew what it would bring. He knew external trouble, suffering one of the most horrendous death in human history, the crucifixion. But, but actually, even more than that, 
the external trouble of the wrath of God being poured out on him in our place so that all who would turn from their sin and trust in him would be forgiven of sin and counted righteous who who would know that no amount of external trouble or internal trouble can pluck me out of that Savior's hand. Because this Savior was raised from the dead on the third day. And if the grave could not keep down the Savior, then what little blip in my life is going to keep the one He saves? Nothing. That's why Paul comes to the end of Romans 8 and he says nothing in this life and nothing to come. Nothing, no angels, no demons, no powers, no nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so not only can we fight for hope, we must fight for hope. Otherwise, we give false testimony about how great our Savior is, about how great our God is, about the eternal perspective that we have. If the grave could not hold the Savior, there is no trouble in this life that can snatch our hope. can't find it. John 12, Jesus says, he will give his disciples a joy that cannot be taken away. Dear friend, it can be surrendered through unbelief, but it cannot be taken away. Isn't that good news? Our hope is in the risen Christ. And so whatever it is that faces you today, fight. Fight for hope. Don't be deceived into hopelessness. Let's pray together. Just a moment of silence to uh, reflect on the teaching of the Bible, and then I'll pray.